It was about trying to grow and build something and failing and what that means to you as a person and, and how do you not appropriately place blame, but how do you allocate the steps that were taken that were incorrect that led to it not being successful? Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Kai Hochsteller, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I appreciate you pushing this timeline. I think you have a kid who's nine and a half weeks now, so life has probably been very interesting for you uh, the last nine and a half weeks, if not longer. And waiting for you to uh, get your caffeine in, in for this show. And uh, we're, we're off to the races, man. <laughs> awesome. Well, it is, you know, it's been a wild uh, nine and a half weeks, but we're, Excited to have a kid and excited to keep you know, working in business and pushing things forward. Yeah, man. Well, I'm excited to have you here too. So this entrepreneur network in Montana is A, full of great people that, you know, like yourself and some of the names we, we uh, previously mentioned before recording who have been on guests on the show or will be guests on the show. It's also a small world, right? Uh, it's crazy small. It's one long main street is what we, is what we say here. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're, uh, so give people a little bit of your background, man. Where, where are you located in the world? How did you get to be an entrepreneur? Give us, give us the backstory. Okay. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Hamilton, Montana. Um, I'm actually a third generation Montanan and it's, it's, Pretty awesome to be able to say that, uh, which makes my son a fourth generation Montanan. And, mm. you know, now we reside in Missoula, Montana, uh, which, you know, is home for us and really a, a base out of out of this area. My overall experience lived out of Montana a little bit, um, more specifically down in Ecuador for uh, just a little bit over a year. I've had a stint down there after my first startup. I needed to recover my brain um, from you know, operating something that I deemed a failure, uh, you know, it was acquired for the debt and, you know, we were put on salary to finish the project, but, you know, it was, it was a failure in the sense that I had to lay people off, which was probably still one of the hardest things I did in my business mm. evolution and my growth as a business leader. But now, you know, focusing with GoodWorks, when we came back from Ecuador, I had the opportunity to join Don McGee over at GoodWorks Ventures um, with my background in startups and tech and, and you know, being from Montana and really caring about the place we live in, GoodWorks is interesting because it's a location-based 
investment focus. So we're not really, you know, running around the Pacific Northwest or, you know, we have a few investments out of the state, but we're really focused on Montana and developing Montana there, which has evolved into GoodWorks Evergreen. And some of the work that we're doing there, we get into a little bit later in baby boomer transition for businesses in our rural communities. But, you know, my experience was in software and like the value software can create for businesses. And, you know, as cool as AI is and, and predictive modeling and all these things, I also saw a lot of value in just streamlining business operations and saving people from a lot of monotonous tasks. And so, you know, the companies I've worked in have been really focused around that because I think humans should focus their time and energy on things more important than repetitive tasks that machines can do, which is where AI comes in as it's you know evolved more. I think it'll automate a lot of what I was trying to do and we can build better processes for that. But the AI itself is, I think, a means to an end. Yeah. Um, from, yeah, from there, you know, just really got to get into the finance side at GoodWorks and, and learn a lot about how investing works in the investing world. Um, you know, came in as an analyst and oversaw the portfolio and supported our businesses there and, and just grew in that and to the point now where um, I think, you know, there's lots of alternatives out there to VC investment, which we'll touch base on too in a little bit. Yeah. You know, if, if you don't mind, Kai, I'd like to, <laughs> I like to kind of poke at a wound, um, the failure that you had, uh, <laughs> because I think, I think that ultimately as entrepreneurs, we, we, we're going to fail, right? We're going to fail. I mean, I could count over the last three years, I was just interviewed on someone else's podcast and I was talking about the last three years of my life. I'm like, Oh, wow. That, that was a definitely not a success. That was a false start. That one was this and that. Right. And you just kind of get used to failure, but that's where we learn. That's where the real value is. And I'm curious, you know, if you don't mind talking about it, like what was that business model? What was the journey through the failure? Um, I think it's really important that we can all learn from these. Yeah. So failure is, it's a, it's a unique teacher if you're willing to listen. Yes. Um, if you're not, it's just painful. <laughs> it's painful no matter what, right. <laughs> but it's, it's more painful if you're not willing to listen. Uh, and uh, I was working at a data recovery company at that point in time, doing their you know hardware R and D and expanding their operations. And uh, I've never been one for, you know, sitting inside of the wheel and just doing your job. Um, I've always been a doer. Um, and I didn't get along with school very well because of that. Uh, so my my track record with uh, education is is mired with <laughs> not not too much of it and being out of it and you know a few college courses here and there. But really, I was more focused on actually going and doing something and building something. And so while I was at the data recovery company, I met a software developer that was working for the company and learned the power of software and saw what he was doing. And it's like, man, this is really cool. Um, I I started in kind of IT networking infrastructure side. And after seeing that there wasn't really a lot of room for upward growth and I, I didn't get to continue to improve things there, um, looking back on it now, it's I think probably the best job I, one of the best jobs I ever had in the sense of like, I didn't really have a lot of responsibility and it was pretty cush, um, but I wanted to go throw myself into the fire into something else. And so we you know, left and started a consulting company and uh, the software developer and I put together a contract for a company to build a freight logistics system, uh, a marketplace really for, for the trucking companies, for freight brokers, as well as uh, those who are looking to move something, whether it's a less than load or a full truck load or heavy haul. And so we started, you know, we got the contract for that and said, sweet, you know, so we started a consultancy and we underbid it crucially, like just crazily underbid it. 
I, I love my co-founder in that business, but also he was a, a purist in the sense that, you know, he didn't want to use software um, packages and frameworks. And he, you know, wrote everything in Notepad++ and um, phenomenal developer. But when you're trying to get product out the door, it doesn't work. And so between underbidding the contract and, and that sense of perfection, um, it led to, I didn't know enough at that point in time to be like, you know, go use something off the shelf and get over yourself. But I, <laughs> I, I learned through that process what the value is of, of all the packages that are out there and, and all the, the frameworks that have been created. But we, we got to the point where um, I had a spreadsheet that was, counting down what our contract was left and it managed like the amount of debt that we had and I'd update it every week. Um, and once that thing, you know, went into the negatives, it's like, we got to pull the plug. We got to do something else. Um, you know, we ramped up a team and then we did layoffs and then my co-founder and I just ran on a bare bones system trying to deliver what we said we would do. Um, Cause we believe that was the right thing to do until the point that it was impossible to do that. And in that, we learned that, you know, no, I learned that knowing scope is really important uh, and that finding the right people to be on your team is, is crucial. We, uh, my co-founder lived in my basement at that point in my house. So it was really fun. We were, <laughs> things not to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't have your co-founder live with you. As, as great of an idea as it is, as it sounds in your early 20s, it's, it's probably not the best thing. Uh, but yeah, it was really just, it was about trying to grow and build something and failing and what that means to you as a person and, and how do you not appropriately place blame, but how do you allocate the steps that were taken that were incorrect that led to it not being successful. And I, at that point in time, especially internalized everything. And um, I was pretty depressed at the end. I mean, I think like most people are after trying to create a venture and then failing um, it's, I mean, you pour everything into it. It's, it's your heart, your soul, it's your identity. It's, literally everything. And then when it doesn't work out, um, especially when you're young, I think it's a lot harder to get beyond that. And it took me moving to another country to break that head cycle and get my headspace back and really get excited about um, life and moving forward. And, you know, not that I was walking around moping, but I just wasn't, you just lose that fire. I think is what happens when you get in that state and you can't move beyond it. Yeah. It's uh thank you. For sharing all that, Kai, I think it's really valuable for people to hear. You know, I first of all, the first when I started my first business, I lived with my my business partner as well. We were roommates, and uh, so I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Um, I, I think when you look at success, right, whatever the varying definitions thereof for each for each person who's who's seeking it out. Uh, in the entrepreneurial world, I think that, or I believe that one of the, the things that makes people successful or not is their ability to dust off and get back up, deal with rejection, hearing no's, failing. Because those who maybe are used to a safe space of a corporate job or something that seems um, reliable as far as income or, you know, what to do with their lives on a day-to-day basis. They don't, they don't react that well when they get punched in the face and it happens a lot. I think now I'm 43. I have failed more times than I could probably count, but I don't care anymore. Um, you know, I do, that's wrong. I care, 
but I, I just don't, you know, I don't let it get me down for more than maybe a day or two. And I, I would imagine now as you've kind of gone through that one painful cycle that you know that that was probably the worst thing that can happen, right? One of the worst things that yeah. can happen. You, you, you've already experienced it. So I imagine confidence moving forward is, is much higher. I mean, once you can reflect on it and, and get that appropriate viewpoint back on the situation, it, it, it seems like the best thing that I learned from there was how to mitigate risk and manage emotion. Nice. Um, I mean, you know, there's a lot of core business things that were learned and I was green. I didn't, you know, because of my relationship with education, most of the stuff I was learning from blog posts and startup and, you know, I was drinking the lean startup Kool-Aid and, you know, had the opportunity to go to the lean startup conference in 2012. And, you know, there's just so many pieces when you're trying to do that, that you're trying to get under, you know, underneath you. And I think time and experiences are one of the greatest uh, teachers and an ability to, you know, effectively step back and review what you've done and say, okay, you know, this is where I failed and that's okay. And let's not do that again. And then you mitigate risk going forward um, without, while still taking risk. I, I think that's crucial is, you know, if, if I can learn how to mitigate some risk going into the next project, it doesn't mean there's not going to be failures, but they're probably not as big. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause there's just so much, so many things you can't account for. I mean, Look at everyone who's, you know, look at COVID right now. Like, how do you, how do you even manage for that? I mean, this is, this is unique to all of us. Like, it's not like, it's like, oh, but you know, now going forward, all the, you know, you know, the different, you know, consultants and stuff are going to, not that this will happen again in our lifetime like this, it might, but you know, now we're all going to be prepared for it and it'll be something else, but it's hard. It's hard to manage for all the variables. So Kai, you didn't get your copy of the pandemic playbook back in January. You, didn't. you know, I, I saw the, the pop-up. I was on some website. I was like, you can't have my email. <laughs> yeah, you can't have my email. No way. You can't have my email. Uh, Go away. And yeah, now, everyone knows that's not coming to 2022. Regrets. Anyway, I got time. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's uh, it's, well, you know, with entrepreneurship, I do believe that it can be learned, but it can't be taught, right? You just have to do it. You just have to start doing it and figuring out you know, like you said, how to mitigate risk, how to manage your personal emotions. I, I think that's critical. You know, it's, it's so easy to let emotions fly off the handle when you're up or down or somewhere in the middle. So yeah, man, that's really well said. Uh, let's dive yeah. into good works. So, so tell me um, about it. I love the business model. I love what you guys are doing. Yeah. So we're, we're really fortunate in the sense that good works is um, we're, we're technically a family office. Um, our funder, Mary Stranahan, um, it was probably 13 or 14 years ago, attended. Uh, so it was a small gathering. Um, and the, the notion there was really like, take, you know, what you've, you know, your wealth that you have and use it for good. And so in using it through a, a two-pronged strategy. And so there, there's a nonprofit um, high stakes foundation that Grant makes across Montana. I um, mean, they've been doing so for, I believe it's 12 years now uh, and, you know, just hundreds of organizations now that, that have, they've been engaged with and supporting. And then there's also the for-profit side, which is GoodWorks Ventures. Um, started out as GoodWorks Ventures you know, 12 years ago. And that was how do we, you know, the, clearly I wasn't there, but the mission was how do we create a positive economic impact in Montana when a lot of people have to leave the state to go get a good job. And, you know, one of the ways to do that is through startups. And so they really focused on building the startup community 
um, you know, funding some startups across the state. Uh, you know, there's 36 companies in the portfolio. Not all of those are in Montana, but, you know, funding companies across the state and, and helping to grow the ecosystem. And, uh, you know, through that process, I've been really fortunate to see a growth. Um, and it's not, I mean, by no means is good work hold the, the, the credit for what's been there, but it's, you know, it collectively as a community, uh, we've been able to see the startup activity grow. We've been able to see people, you know, bring their knowledge and talent from out of state and working in a primary city and start companies here um, or ideas that have been incubated within the state. And so it's a, it's a very different landscape than it was. And I think, you know, everything's just accelerated with COVID, but there's a lot of great companies that exist in Montana now that are, are in that startup ecosystem. Yeah. Where, where are most of them concentrated? I mean, Bozeman, right. I would imagine is probably a, a huge hub. And, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen too much popping up here in, in the Flathead Valley, but where, where do you think the big hubs are for entrepreneurship and found and founders? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's mostly around, you know, your kind of two major, the Missoula and Bozeman, um, is where a lot of you see that activity. But, you know, there's companies in, you know, at one point in time, you know, Great Harvest Bread out of Dillon was a startup and they were growing to, you know, how many stores, you know, and it's how do you classify startup? I think it's that, you know, there's a lot of software, there's, there's hard tech, there's, there's, you know, franchises at Great Harvest, there's, you know, there's a lot of interesting things and you start to look across all the towns um, and, and there's usually someone nestled in the town building something at this point. And, and really growing it. It's just, you see more of the robust networks and communities, you know, here in Missoula, we've got Hellgate Venture Network, which was started by our CEO, Don McGee and Paul Gladen. Um, they both moved to Missoula and, and Paul now works at the University of Montana Blackstone Launchpad. Um, and, you know, they said, hey, you know, we, we like to drink beer and we like, uh, you know, good people and who are working on businesses. And so they started that and um, you know, that's been, that's been running for over 10 years. Clearly 2020 has not been great for the attendance, but it you know, really was a community that was created around who's working on what, you know, short stories uh, from a founder and engaging in, in Bozeman has a, a different scene, um, you know, with, when you look at like right now and, and that uh, acquisition, you know, it's like when you fill a cup up and it spills out on the table and runs everywhere. Um, you know, there's just a spillover effect of people who've left there and went and created companies. And, um, you know, that has, has been a massive driver, I think, of what we see in Bozeman, um, coupled with, uh, you know, it's got all the ski areas. And, and so Bozeman's growing in a different way than Missoula is. Um, and there, there are two, I'd say there's kind of a two different types of businesses uh, that, that start in each area, you know. That Bozeman is is really tech heavy. They, we've got some good tech companies here in Missoula, but they're they're a tech heavy space. Um, Missoula has a lot of interesting uh, hard, not, not not hard tech, um, but companies that are providing really that, that direct service, direct value. Um, whereas Bozeman, you see more R and D type companies. I think is is a, a big difference I've seen at least. Yeah, it's a trick. I actually talked to Paul. Paul Gladen yesterday. He's going to be coming on the podcast yeah. uh, in a few weeks. So I'm interested to ask him about Hellgate and some of, some of the things he's doing too. Really, really nice guy. Um, yeah, there's a little fodder for the next conversation. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Paul. Startups. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to dive a little bit more into Good Works Evergreen because I think one of the interesting things that 
when you and I had our initial conversation was how, you know, the baby boomers are kind of left with no real succession plan to their businesses, right? Kind of explain that problem, how yeah. you guys are meeting, meeting yeah. that need. So given that GoodWorks is a, you know, technically a family office, we don't have LPs. Um, we're focused on uh, creating a positive impact in Montana. Uh, a few years ago, we're going on three now. Um, Don saw that, you know, there's some good businesses that were evaporating out of the ecosystem. You know, they're manufacturing or, or good retail businesses and service businesses. And so it, they just would go away because founders didn't plan. Um, they would either, you know, get tired of trying to sell it. They hadn't spent enough time prepping business for sale or they would pass away, unfortunately. And so we, we took a step back and looked at the at the landscape and said, you know, is this something we can positively do something about in a sustainable way? Um, you know, sustainable in that sense, you know, referring to economics, you know, is it something that, you know, can be economically viable into the future? And, and we took the first bite of the apple there and acquired a hardware store lumberyard down in Hamilton in June of 2018. Hmm. And since then, we've acquired two more. Um, this year, we've acquired uh, two lumberyard hardware stores, one in Superior and one in Anaconda. Um, and then last uh, May of 19, we acquired a wood products manufacturing company. And we're not intentionally, you know, long on lumber and wood. It's just kind of the businesses we've seen so far that we've liked and that we've gotten involved with. But the vision there is really about, you know, creating a an operating company that is for rural businesses that are wholly owned. And, and you know, our, our long-term vision is someday, you know, maybe it's publicly available. So, you know, people across Montana can invest a little bit of their IRA in it or something and, and be engaged and be tied to like the local small business. Um, you know, without taking, you know, without taking a bunch of risk on that either. Cause you know, it's, it's, you don't want to invest in just that one hardware store down the street. It's, you know, there's, there's risk involved with that, but if you can go into a, a pool of businesses, you know, it's, it's a safe, you know, uh, type of asset with, you know, dividend potential. And so that's our long-term goal. I mean, right now we're just executing internally and really focusing on operations and acquisitions and, and it's, it's, you know, operating business is different than investing. Um, I really enjoy it, but it's it's a totally different animal. And so we're 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 incubating that and building that from inside at GoodWorks, and and we're excited to, for the future of that. So this this model, I mean, is it is this scalable? Not that you guys want to, but I'm just thinking about other people. Maybe you live in different states. Um, you know, Delaware or Maine or um, you know. Wyoming even, you know, is this, is this a model you think is scalable in other areas besides Montana? Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've, we're, we're hoping to do in this is that we do prove a model out that we can, you know, hand off the playbook, if you will, to someone else who has an interest in a small location. Um, one of the challenges operationally is if you're dealing with small businesses, you know, it's one thing if you buy a $50 million company, you know, it makes sense to get on a plane and fly there and look in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're dealing with small businesses, the economics are just totally different. And so if you get too far afield, you can't, um, if it's not cost effective to look over them and to, to, you know, and something goes wrong is swoop in and solve problems. And so it is more of a, a regional focus for us. And, uh, we hope that, you know, there's other people who are interested, you know, that they'll reach out and we can help kind of hand out, hand off what we've learned because there's been lots of learning. Um, but I do think it, this is a problem across the the whole U.S. And um, there's 
uh, a person who actually went through Techstars, um, the company I think is called Succession Matching. And they, um, you know, it's a platform for people who are looking to sell their businesses, you know, mostly in the baby boomers who are looking to you know, transition out and they're focused on trying to get buyers in, into those. Um, and there's another guy out of Bozeman, uh, Seth Jordan, who's working with, uh, I, I believe he's, you know, partnered with the bank and, and working with, you know, getting um, small businesses to transition to um, veteran owners. Um, so, the, you know, the, the scale of this is huge. Like, like we're, we're a small, we're one small player in a very large pond in terms of the total number of businesses that are out there that need to be transitioned. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, what's interesting about this is, you know, cause I own small businesses and the business needs to be set up to sell. I mean, if you're an owner operator, um, who does everything, you know, does like 80% of the work you go in, you love what you do, you built this business. Um, but now maybe it's getting tough to kind of do those day-to-day operations and you haven't trained anybody, you don't have any SOPs. Then by the time you pull that owner operator out, the value of, of the business may go down to almost nothing. It becomes an asset sale. Is that, yeah. is that something that, is that a challenge that you guys are tackling? Are you training people to, to take that over? How, how are you tackling that component? So the general, the general premise is because, you know, most of these businesses are between, you know, five and 15 employees, you know, the owner operator is pretty crucial there. Um, If we have somebody who's experienced in the industry, who's coming in as the general manager, then, uh, you know, they're, them being a part of it long-term is less, less important. Um, We had a a six month transition on the, the lumber company here in Missoula, just because, you know, you're, 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 you have relationships with mills and there's a lot you know there's that industry for better or worse is uh, you know it's it's the people who've been there and there's a lot of relationships it's a lot of phone calls and and that's just how it operates um and so transitioning those over doesn't happen overnight and and so you know just depending on what business it is is how long we we request that the owner sticks around in the transaction um, and, and that they're available to help you know help us navigate any of the waters and uncharted territories we don't know how are you guys, Kai, how are you guys identifying these businesses? How are you finding them? Are they coming to you right now? Do you have a team that's out there looking for them or what? How, yeah. How are you finding them? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, so it's terms of team. There's, there's three of us right now, uh, actually four of us at the good works evergreen level. There's our CEO, Don McGee, uh, Travis Linneman's our CFO, myself as the COO. And then we also brought on a staff accountant. So it's not like, it's not like there's a bunch of us running around. Um, you know, our, we have a, we have 42 employees at the operating businesses. And so, you know, it's a, it's a different scale down at those, but it, you know, this, this management level and, and operational support levels, it's, it's a different story. So what I'm doing a lot of is, is looking at, you know, building relationships with uh, different folks who are operating in the, the business sector. You know, we're looking on MLS, um, you know, it's no secret. There's like biz buy sell out there. Um, there's business brokers, uh, and, and so what, you know, we're just, we just have our, our feelers out and we're just having conversations with people and, uh, you know, that, that are coming through and, and looking and, and, you know, it's, we're participating with the chamber of commerce in a transition, um, webinar series over the next, you know, four quarters. And so, you know, it, it's, it's that kind of just, here's who we are and here's what we're doing. And when the time is right, let's have a conversation. Um, unless somebody's really, you know, unless we find them through one of these other channels. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm I'm just I'm just thinking how how does how do you get a business to raise their hand and say, "Hey, I'm looking for a successor." Right? <laughs> like we're oh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's a tough that's a tough one. Uh I automatically think go to like some kind of SEO or like paid ads that that identify these people, but that's a tough one, man. That's an interesting yeah. interesting one. I think in Montana, I think it's relationships and, and yep. just building that, that network. Um, because I mean, I sent in, I found a business and I was like, man, this is a cool business. I really like it. I like what they do. We think they're good. So I, you know, hand wrote a letter and sent it to them and <laughs> I, I got a call back. I, you know, went over there and met with them a couple of times and, and we had some conversations and, you know, and I, last time I called him, he was like, yeah, I'm in the middle of the card game. But uh, I'll call you when I'm ready. <laughs> Dude's 82 years old. Like, he doesn't care. He doesn't, like, it's not, he's like, nah, he knows we're there. He knows who we are. Like, but, yeah. you know, there's, there's it, it's become so many people's, especially that generation's identity. Um, yeah. That what, when they're not doing that, what do they do? And so the there's a bigger piece of this too, is it's how do you gracefully transition somebody from operating a business to their next chapter in life in a way that they don't, you know, just lose their, their sense of self. And not that there's a lot we can do in that, but we can encourage them to really think about that in the process and say, Hey, what, you know, what are the things you're going to get involved with? What are you going to do? What's important to you? And, and, you know, our, our hope is that they go get involved with their community in a different way and, and, and give back positively to the people that are around them. Um, you know, because they're not operating a business, you know, the first business we bought, it was on his 75th birthday that we signed the docs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's a, you know, it's their life. It's everything. Yeah, it is. My dad, uh, my dad was a dentist and, you know, he um, probably told the story on this show before, but he was, he was the youngest of five. Um, his family came over from Italy and he was born here in the United States. And, uh, you know, worked very hard to get through college and put himself back through dental school at the age of 30, which back then was ridiculous. No one did that. And then, uh, you know, he started his own practice and he, him and his dental practice and him as a dentist and being part of the community. And, you know, it was, it was everything to him. And then when, you know, unfortunately he started to get, um, uh, tremors in his hands due just due to nerve damage of doing dentistry, yeah. you know, cranking so many times and he had to retire and sell the practice. That was a super hard thing to watch. And because then, you know, then eventually he kind of retired up into you know, the Truckee area of, of California and Tahoe. And, um, but he didn't have that identity, man. And, you know, yeah. not having that purpose every day. And I, 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 I'm very much like him. I would see myself going nuts but it was a very hard transition and you actually lost him um, back in uh, November of last year. And when we had his memorial, it was amazing to me how many patients of his dental practice came and people even got up and said stuff, how he was the best dentist they've ever had. And he was so much wow. more a dentist. And I was like, whoa, this is incredible. And I think part of that generation too is because, you know, he he would have been 83 uh it, they they pour everything into it right now like we look to start companies as if we're going to sell them that wasn't that was never yeah. the idea back then you didn't you don't 
start a business to sell it. You start it because that's going to be your business. So it's really interesting. And I, I kudos to you guys for helping people make that transition, at least facilitating the conversation, which is huge, right? At least starting that conversation, like, Hey, what are you going to do? Because in their mind, they're probably scared to death, but to yeah. have someone to talk to, um, I mean, I know I would be, if I had run a business for 40, 50 years, even after being a gym owner for nine years, that was a huge identity. I didn't know what to do. I was walking around in circles for two months in my room. Like, what am I doing now? Um, so it's that, I, I think that's a critical part of it. And it actually didn't even occur to me. I was just thinking of the business side of it, but actually helping them get into this next phase of life. That's a huge value that you're offering to the community. I really, yeah, I really admire that. Well, it's, I don't know, we, and I'm really fortunate to work at Good Works in a place where we do value the, the holistic um, approach to all these things and, and community is really important. And whether it's a business in Missoula, Bozeman, Hamilton, Anaconda, Superior, like, you know, those are without the people there, you don't have a lot. And, and, you know, Missoula is still small enough that the, the business owners are, are important and the community is really tight niche and, uh, I think that if there is a way to encourage that with those owners and, and to, you know, usher them into their next phase, it, it's a service to them, it's a service to the community. And it, it, there's only so much we can do, but I think it's really important to at least have the conversation and you've seen it firsthand and you totally understand. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a challenging thing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I mean, good works evergreen is my 30 year plan. Um, and uh, you know trying you know what that's going to look like and fortunately the way we're we're engineering you know good works evergreen it, it is in a way that um, it gets to operate in perpetuity and then will um, gracefully transition into the next set of leadership and at some point that'll be the right thing to do and i'll have to figure out how to um you know step aside and go do something else and so i'm getting to watch a lot of people do it and <laughs> take notes and and you know figure it out but it'll be my problem someday yeah well it'll be all of our problems i mean uh i didn't think i'd be 43 and here i am you know i didn't think it would happen well, congratulations you made it i made it yeah i didn't <laughs> man it was touch and go there for a while okay i'll tell you that much uh so let's talk about you you want to talk about an alternative investment structure that you have in your mind, a, a new model. Uh, I'd love, I'd love to hear about that. Yeah. So it's, it's not, it's not my model. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, so there's a term called uh, revenue-based financing, revenue-based investment. It's been around for a while. Uh, but one of the challenges I saw on the venture, good works venture side of things is, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good companies that exist out there and, and people who are building good businesses but they don't fit the venture capital model, or maybe they choose to um, try and stuff that square peg into a round hole and, and say the things that, you know, will get the VC investors interested. I mean, not that Montana is flush with VC investors running around. <laughs> um, and, but you know, there, there are angel investors and, and, and it's how do you appropriately structure and align incentives um, as, as a founder entrepreneur with uh, the capital that's coming in the door. And so uh, I, was, I was fortunate enough to meet Jamie Finney, who moved to Bozeman for a short stint uh, and then was called back to Colorado um, uh, for some on a, on a pretty cool project. But he was part of a, a micro VC fund and they uh, co-invested with us in uh, advice pay out of Bozeman, got to know him through that process. And 
and he invited me down to the first ever alternative capital summit in, in Denver. And I got to go down there and meet a bunch of folks from a lot of different, you know, some were from foundations, some were, um, you know, from alternative investment groups who were really working on changing how capital is deployed. Um, and it's not, it's, it's not around not wanting to grow and build big businesses, but it's around the reality that some businesses aren't going to be, you know, an acquisition target five years down the road and they're not going to IPO because they're not going to be big enough, but they're a great business as they stand today. And, and that structure is the core principle around it is um, one of the guys leading the charge is uh, Bryce at Indy.vc. Um, there, he was a seed investor for a while and got tired of that model. And so they created the NDVC term sheet. Um, they're on version three now. And the, the core premise on that is, you know, there's the amount of capital you're taking in, the uh, time delay till you start repayment, how much of your gross revenue goes to repay that, and what's the total maximum multiple that an investor is going to get back. And, and in that conversation, you know, I, I was working with uh, Stefan Smith, who is a financial modeling guru and um, CFO as available to companies. And I said, hey, you know, there's this really cool term sheet out there. I think we can build a cool tool that would help people, you know, these investments happen. And so we, we work together and we build an Excel spreadsheet that allows companies and investors to model more easily what those cash flows look like and IRRs and the impacts and the growth of the business. And, and I, I just think if we, if we can help promote a different model for investing, um, there's, there's angel investors that are interested in that. And, and quite frankly, to most people, it probably makes more sense. Like, Hey, you're going to pay me 4% or 6% of gross revenues until I get 1.75 times my capital back. And we expect that to happen in X number of years. Um, it's just a lot cleaner way to structure deals and I'm just excited about what that future might hold, um, especially as more and more people come online. Lost you there for a second, Kai. So you're saying, uh, especially as people come online. Yeah, especially as more people come online, I think as investors um, and, and are looking around and want to engage with local companies. I mean, at, as if we can get this model out and more awareness for that. Um, there's some larger companies that are doing it in strictly for SaaS businesses, um, like lighter capital, um, you know, you know so there's some large ones doing it, but there's, you know, bringing it down to the, the local level and allowing people to invest in their businesses in a way that doesn't wait until this one mythical time in the future for a liquidity event for everybody to be made whole. Um, I, I just don't, I think that that's not the reality for most businesses that I see um, or that quite frankly, I would want to run. Or working. Yeah, interesting, man. Well, I would love. Where do people, can people find out more about this model anywhere? Uh, yeah, I'll get you a mind. link. Uh, Jamie Finney did a post on Medium. I'll get you a link for that. Um, okay. You can throw, um, or you can just go to Medium and type Jamie Finney VC model, um, uh, and that should pull it up. But yeah, we'll get that. And I think you know also at uh, modulus.financial. Stefan has released kind of a third version of that that is, um, he's open sourced it. And I think for anyone who's really trying to build sophisticated um, financial modeling for their business, um, that one especially has a lot of value that you can then take to investors. Yeah. Well, I have uh, my two 
my two associates and business partners at Level 5 Mentors, uh, Ken and Jim, both come from private equity backgrounds. And uh, we get asked all the time, <laughs> you know, when, when you start working with a company and, and you're helping them grow, you ask them, well, what, what do you guys need right now? And the first question is, well, we need investment. I'm like, okay, other than that, <laughs> what do you need? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we all, we all want money from heaven. Um, but you know, there's always unique ways to structure investing. I'm just starting to open my eyes into that whole world. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of complexity and I think it does, um, intimidate a lot of people who maybe it doesn't need to. And it sounds like maybe a simpler model for businesses that seem to be ostracized from those big VC investments could be a great, a great asset to a lot of companies. So that's really interesting. And I'll, I'll make sure we plug it in the show notes too. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I mean, if you're a business that has to like grow, grow, grow and user acquisition and things like that, I mean, it's probably not as appropriate of a model. But if if it's a pretty, you know, clear 18 months to revenues, you know, substantial or decent revenues even, um, you know, then I think this model works well. And it's a great thing. But there are things like biotech and hardware, you know, there's companies it's not a fit for, um, where the revenue model is less, um, direct and, and you're looking more at, you know, creating IP and, and something else. You, you, you need venture investment then, and it has its place, but for things that are, um, you know, there's a clear financial model. I think it's a good, op- I think it's a good option to put on the table. Awesome, man. Well, I'm, I'm curious. So as we, I, w- I want to make sure we respect your time too. So w- what is the biggest for good works, both the for-profit um, and non nonprofit. What, what, what's the biggest needs that you guys have right now? What, what could our listeners help you with? Uh, one of the things that we're doing is really just building out our network of people who are interested in operating and, and working inside of what I would classify as traditional businesses. Hmm. Um, you know, if they're interested in coming back to Montana and they have business experience or they live here and they you know, not all businesses need a uh, quote unquote CEO. You know, a lot of them, they're all smaller and they're, it's more so general manager type positions or whatever. I think that's a lot of what I'm spending my time on right now is really building that, that backlog of, of who are, are good experienced people who want to work in this space. Um, I mean, every business is saying people, you know, finding and hiring people is the, is the problem. And, and, you know, I think that that will be um, our, our challenge as well going forward uh, is really who are the right people to plug into these businesses and, you know, who wants to live in, you know, Shoto and run some small business. Somebody out there does. I just, you know, we want to figure out who they are. And then as these businesses come up is, you know, we're not afraid to work with people and retrain them. I'm assuming they have a Jason appropriate, you know, business experience and management experience. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people, Kai. I do. I think, uh, I think there's a lot of people who, especially now, I mean, we're, we're, you know, you see it in Montana, how many people are coming to states like, uh, you know, Montana, Tennessee, Wyoming, uh, people are starting to realize that lifestyle is a really important thing when this pandemic hit and that now that people can work from home, there's the obvious, you know, decentralization of, of companies and people spreading out. But I think people are really starting to realize like, Hey, lifestyle is really important. And there's, there's other options now. You know, you don't have to get into a company and spend 40 years of your life there hoping for a 401k or a pension. 
pensions. Remember yeah. those? Those are funny. Pensions. Um, oh man. Yeah. I think what that. government workers have those, I think in, in unions, right? Those are the yeah. Two that have them left. Yeah. I think fire and police departments. So that's, that's about it. Um, yeah. so I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, I really do. I, uh, I talk to my wife all the time about, you know, her corporate job, hopefully none of her bosses are listening. I don't think they are, but you know, how, you know, if anything ever happened to, to her job, what would we do, you know, start, you know, get into a little small business here and, you know, something that she could really, you know, sink her teeth in as someone who's a director of operations who, you know, deals with a lot of information flying at her every day, that would seem relatively simple for her. And I think there's, there's, so there's a lot, I think there's um, a lot of people who love to do that. So I think it's really cool what you guys do. I really appreciate it. Um, The other thing I want to note is, you know, we're not actively investing in the venture space anymore, but we are committed to, you know, helping people grow their businesses and, and make introductions um, where appropriate. And so, you know, I'm always happy to have a conversation if somebody wants to reach out. And, it, you know, it's we're GoodWorks is committed to the community um, as a whole. And so we want to still continue to grow that. Um, just from a financial perspective, we're focused on, you know, building and proving out GoodWorks Evergreen. Awesome, man. Kai, where where do people get you? Where they where they get a hold of you? Good works, all that. Give us the goods. Yeah, so um, I, I've purged my life of social media, uh, except for LinkedIn. So you can find me on there. Good for you. Um, also, you can shoot me an email at kai at gwevergreen.com. Um, and yeah, happy to, happy to have a conversation. Awesome. And for people who aren't looking at the name of this uh, podcast, Kai is K-I-A-H. So it's a little bit of a different spelling. So Kai, Thanks, man. mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making it so difficult. Uh, <laughs> you really made it easy with the last name. So you, you nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, Kai, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really admire the work you guys are doing there. And, uh, you know, I see a good chance of us maybe getting an update from you in about a year or, or maybe less on the show and uh, seeing where things are at. So um, great job. Thanks again for all of your information. Thank you for talking about your failure. I really appreciate the vulnerability there. And uh, you provide a lot of great value to the audience today. So carry on, my friend. Well done. Thanks for doing the work of putting this all together. It's it's awesome. I'm really excited for what you're doing for us. Right on. Ladies and gentlemen, Kai Hochstetler. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, Make an introduction. Whatever it may be, you can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. 
I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.